the best time of the day show. As it's Christmas time, I thought what we'd do with the podcast is have six of the best, six of the choicest, the funniest, the rudest podcasts, and we string them all together so you could... It's a, a good way, actually, of um, playing them to maybe to that auntie who you don't see probably keep away from the small ears but certainly the maiden aunt will really love it so have a think about that and tell everybody about the six of the best the six best especially for you is a christmas gift from us now if you're a certain age this will have a, a resonance for you certainly now growing up as i was in walsall right in the west midlands and uh, new year's eve was a very strange event in our house because we couldn't really see any reason for it in terms of why do we need to stay awake until midnight and watch uh, the White Heather Club on the television, which is a whole selection of blokes in kilts uh, playing the accordion, bearing in mind none of us has a Scottish gene in our bodies, in our family. But we did this every year, year in, year out. Now, we're talking about Walsall in the 1960s, which was coal fires and no central heating. So therefore, it took an age in order to get the house warm. And... We had this problem with our living room door. If you left the door open, that room would go cold. But when you actually opened the door, a puff of smoke would come down the chimney. Once you're in the living room, no one was really allowed out of the living room because if you did, you'd let the uh, you'd let the all the cold, all the hot air out, and also a puff of smoke would come down the chimney. So it'd be like you know being at a railway station in 1950. All right, all this steam and smoke everywhere. So we'd sit there, of course sitting there in this reasonably warm room with this coal fire watching andy stewart i think it was his bloody white heather club with the clock ticking round till midnight thinking you know even as a kid you know the joys of staying up late didn't extend to midnight no if you're a you were eight or something like that it was 10 o'clock was a cut-off point then you'd start if you know really would you know you'd hit the wall really as far as exhaustion was concerned and also there really was nothing I, if i saw um an old episode of it now i still think i'd feel the same way there was nothing remotely entertaining about the white heather club maybe it's because i'm not scottish but my mum loved all sorts of you know these traditions and things like that so therefore eventually the clock would tick round till midnight and then there'd be big ben and she'd leap up open the living room door smoke would pour down the chimney there all the heat would come out then she'd open the front door and open the back door and shout happy new year to all the people in the street who presumably were also had given up on the white heather club at that particular point and gone to bed so therefore what would happen is that you ended up in a house full of smoke and freezing cold so the first of january one second past midnight was freezing cold and very very smoky that's all i can remember I'm fascinated by tattoos. I don't have them myself, but I'm promising myself that maybe when I get to 65, I might have a, a tattoo. I don't exactly know. I, I spoke to the dark lady about it. She's uh, sort of in tune with this thing. Because when I got to uh, 60, I had my first earring. Um, and see that whole growing old disgracefully sort of thing. And uh, also, it psyched out the kids. You see what they've done? earrings so the idea that i have a tattoo would be a good idea uh, but we don't know what to have i want a comedy one i wanted a popeye anchor maybe on my forearm or maybe a heart with mum written underneath but uh, the dark lady isn't having any of that but it started me thinking about about tattoos because over the years you know it's it's now body art isn't it but in the old days it was just fun things or it was told you something about the person or the personality 
I can still remember being uh, in a in a sort of cafe once, and there was a. Uh, I don't know whether you know, these days how how you can actually couch it. Well, I'll just have to be bold and just have to come out. There was a woman there who had very large breasts. Okay, so. So she had very large breasts. And obviously, this woman was extremely proud of them because she had sort of a you know a, the low-cut frock on, everything like that. So she's showing uh, her magnificent uh, appendage. What's it? En bon point or balcon or whatever. And uh, so, for absence of any doubt whatsoever, she'd had tattooed on one of them thirty-eight, and on the other one double D. So you knew exactly what you were looking or trying not to look at. Uh, another uh, tattoo I thought which actually did make me laugh out loud because it was just sort of thing you know one of the, that may have seemed like a really good idea at the time but somehow it doesn't quite work in the execution because we have I mean, a lot of people had go for the, uh, uh, the, the the tattoo at the base of the spine and uh, I was walking on the street once and there was a young lady uh, pushing a child in a pram and as she leant into the pram to see if the child was all right the back of her t-shirt came up and in gothic script aggressive gothic script it obviously had the name of her partner the father it said derek and of and all names that probably were don't work in gothic script derek is probably one of them and the other one uh, was told to me by a, a, a gay friend of mine who uh <laughs> met look if you're a nervous disposition look away now uh was actually uh in a bar once and uh hooked up with somebody and uh went home and uh as they got down to it he noticed he also had this his new uh paramour also had a tattoo at the base of his spine where in gothic script it simply read harder i am much to my wife's disappointment a creature of habit and I can do the same thing at the same time every day. I can eat and drink the same thing at the same time every day, really without a problem. You know, I don't think I possess a single item of clothing which doesn't have a chilli stain on it because I love chilli con carne. I can have it for breakfast even. I can eat curry at breakfast. You know, there are certain things. She always calls it, I think rather, it's rather patronisingly, comfort food. No, it's haute cuisine as far as I'm concerned. But one of the things I really, really like, which I discovered by accident in a recipe book in 1986... Um, uh, was uh, tuna and anchovies, okay? And uh, with a bit of pasta, goes down lovely, that does. But you don't need the expensive tuna. And so when we had the uh, the arrival of the Aldis and the, the Lidls, etc., uh, I realised that they stocked tuna flakes. And tuna flakes are ideal for this recipe. If you want to do basically very simple, tin of tuna flakes, uh, 20, 30 grams of, uh, of anchovies in cod liver, in, in, in olive oil. Just uh, heat the uh, the anchovies through to fry them in their own oil. A uh, bit of cr- uh, cracked black pepper. Mix in the tuna. Put over a bit of pasta, maybe a bit of parmesan on top. Bing! Perfect. And if you add things like, you know, Brussels sprouts, etc., uh, and bowel-busting amounts of vegetables, it's actually probably quite a healthy meal, really. A um, bit salty, I suppose, if you eat it absolutely every day. But apart from that, it's fine. So, I was getting through quite a lot of tuna, but then thought, Aldi, little, yes. And I went in and discovered, to my absolute delight, that they sold really, really cheap tuna flakes. Back then, it, this is about 15 years ago, they, they were about 15 or 20 pence a can, which is fantastic. 
fantastic and i love the idea of buying in bulk so if you go back through some of the uh, the podcasts we've done you'll know my attempt to buy a gross of espadrilles which went south very badly uh, that's another if you're not ch- check that one out do so i thought right why don't i buy this stuff these tuna flakes in bulk so i thought if i buy 24 cans two trays worth that'll be great so i've got the two trays and you think about these budget supermarkets they don't actually have enough people on the on the count on the, on the checkout so there's a queue and i discover that i'm next to a woman who also has got 24 cans of tuna and so he looks at, and you do that you do that no you, you look what's in other people's shopping baskets and stuff like that so we're standing there next to each other with 24 cans of tuna each and i knew one of us would have to say something because we brits don't like to have a conversation with total strangers but sometimes there's there is a question that needs to be asked so we i asked in that way that many human beings i just raised my eyebrows at her and beamed and she beamed back at me and she said well that's my cat food requirements taken care of then and i thought sod your cats i'm eating this stuff myself well the subject today is actually the 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 perils of hypochondria okay mild hypochondria uh and i think that's a result of being the son of a doctor uh and because uh, my dad in those days doctors went out and did lots of home visits and things like that and he would come back and he wore that typical sort of uh english teacher stroke doctor gp sports jacket and trousers brown big brown shoes and leather elbow patches and uh also a, a tweedy type jacket can actually contain a multitude of germs so um you heard about you know in the, the 50s probably if not before people would have things like chicken pox parties if their kids have got chicken pox they send all the other kids around you know don't i don't think it's a recommendation thing i think it's sort of the sort of thing that anti-vaxxers might like but i think probably the, the health professionals would say don't do that so what he did was inadvertently i think um he brought back pretty nearly everything he could on his jacket so uh, my sister and i within a very short period of time had uh, mumps chicken pox uh german measles uh french measles czech measles african measles look there's lots of different sorts of measles i'm sure but you know what we had the lot pretty scarlet fever. i don't think we had scarlet fever we were inoculated and stuff but we had all sorts of things like that and uh so we had pretty much the whole the whole raft of childhood diseases and then some and of course if you're a doctor you have all sorts of magazines that you like know <laughs> like around the house like if you're a journalist you have lots of newspapers and stuff so what happened you know he goes out to work and there's copies of the british medical journal and pulse which was like a more racy one with with more pictures and things like that in and so you just think what's this then and you you open this up and the, like page the, the page three photograph would be some terrible disease you go oh my god his face has rotted off and so immediately after that your nose will start itching as you realize that there was some terrible growth inside which is going to rot your face off as well and this was before the days of the internet uh, and that's the thing now if i've got to get a twinge one of the things i don't really want to do is to go on the internet because i know that whatever you got unfortunately be it a cough a cold bit of hay fever maybe a slight bruise according to the internet is actually terminal and there's actually nothing they can do that you might be able to hang on a couple of years with the most appallingly agonizingly painful treatment and so therefore the thing is 
whenever it's also that that thing of um i suppose that of of of, of mirroring isn't it when you you talk to your if they do it in business don't they we say right okay this is a guy he likes golf i'll try and go oh yeah i'm a golf fan as well oh, that's a lie but yeah yeah, yeah. So you mirror them so therefore you meet someone's got oh if you're a slightly hyper contract person you meet someone go, oh i've got terrible terrible back oh really you too eh yeah what is it i don't know i think i mean it might be a disc me thinking no it'll be cancer and so therefore <laughs> everything is just you know you just know that also by the time you get to my age you have that thing of when you see your friends you don't sit down and go how's the job going then is it you know again so how is the prostate these days then is it you know, oh yeah i broke my toe the other day. how do you do that i was just getting out of bed oh that's terrible yeah yeah uh, yeah actually i'm gonna say and you go for a meal as well and everyone sits down and the menu arrives and there's this rustling sound and every single person at the table gets their glasses out because they can't see a bloody thing so ah hang on just get me readers that's right uh, oh, ah, that's right uh Hang on, what, what do you say? Sorry, it's a bit noisy in here. There's more than three people talking. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, my hearing's going. Oh, yours is going. Oh, I've got tinnitus. And the whole thing goes on and on and on and on and on. It makes for a cheery, it makes for a cheery time. You know, a social events around our house, you know, are turning into a real, a real laugh fest. I can tell you that for nothing. But it is. If any new diseases start, you hear about, you just wonder, there's a possibility I could have been exposed to that, you know? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not talking Ebola here because I really hope that's not the case for anybody. But there are all sorts of other things going around. I remember being in a taxi once, and I suppose it was just at the height of the of, of the AIDS crisis. And the taxi driver said, "You know what?" Because taxi drivers are going, "What's what are they going to say now?" You know, he said, "You can die of a lot more things now than you used to be able to." I'm thinking. I don't think there's that many people have died of plague in the United Kingdom lately. You know, probably slightly fewer than the number of had a drop piano, grand piano dropped on their head, but it's a thought, certainly. My granddad was fantastic. My dad's dad, he was great. Great big bear of a man. I loved him to bits, and he was wonderfully absent-minded. And whenever we went to stay with him, there was a room at the back, a sort of storeroom, which was just like a treasure trove. It was just, it was wonderful. There's Aladdin's cave, and there's all sorts of stuff in there, including which self, you know, what self-respecting house does not have at least one firearm in there? Yeah, he had a revolver. There was, it was just a revolver. It was luckily there was no bullets in it. It was a revolver, and he'd been given it um, by. Uh, a prison of war at the end of the second world war so he had this gun right and so it's great going then lift this gun up put it down because of course i'd be terrible frowned on if i'd been seen playing with this thing but i think i may have been caught with this revolver on one occasion so he decided actually it's probably a good idea if i got rid of this revolver yeah okay and so he put it in his briefcase and set off for the office meaning to drop it in at the police station on his way but then he realized he didn't have any cash so the only thing to do was to go to the bank so in he went into the bank and in those days of course you if you wanted to get some cash out you had to write a check so therefore he puts his and they had no uh, glass screens and no security like that in those days so therefore he put his briefcase on the top of the counter 
And I go, hello there. He says, yes, I'd like to get out five pounds. It would probably last all week. Uh, and opened his briefcase. And go, hang on, my checkbook's in here. Hang on, let's say uh, my pipe, uh, three nuns tobacco, revolver. And I go, oh, revolver. Uh, excuse me, I'm just on my way to the police station with, with this. Uh don't don't maybe i should come maybe i should come back later and he went down the police station because he knew the police because he was a town clerk you see and another time he lost it his car was stolen what happened he used to walk home for lunch and so one day he drove home had his lunch and went back to the office came out at the end of the day the car's gone it was in the parking space what am i going to do so he phoned the police. They knew him from the revolver story, of course. And they went, oh, hello there, Mr. Lester. What, what can we do for you? Someone's nicked my car. Really? Yeah. He was in the parking space outside the town hall. All right, we'll look for you. And about 20 minutes later, the phone rang. They went, oh, we've located your car. Where is it? It's outside your house. Ah, because he'd driven home, had his lunch, thought, it's a nice day, I'll walk off my dinner. And he walked back down to the office again and forgot. Uh, another time, he was in his... Again... The car security was never a big thing in the early days of motor vehicles. And going shopping with my grandma one day, they got in the car after they'd been shopping and they set off. And my grandma opens the glove compartment and finds a pair of gloves. And she goes, these are women's gloves. Yeah. They're not my gloves. Really? Which woman owns these gloves? Well, I don't know. In fact, who owns this car? Somehow, the keys <laughs> meant they were a Morris Minor with the same colour as theirs. The key opened the door and the ignition. So off they drove. Then so what are we going to do now? We've stolen someone's car. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll try and put it back. Try and put it back where we found it. Just hope there's a parking. The parking space is still there. And then luckily for them, it was. But that was the time. What a, what a, what a character. Not only did he hold the bank up, <laughs> lose his car, but steal somebody else's as well. All within a few months of one another. I've mentioned in previous podcasts that, in fact, if you are even slightly as I was in the public eye, uh, just by saying hello, you'll annoy some people. Uh, people will take an instant dislike to you, uh, which is fair enough. You know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And one of the joys of the job that I've had is actually going out and meeting people and doing outside broadcasts or doing stage shows and things like that. And uh, one year uh, I was invited to be part of uh, the WI. Uh, they had their great big annual jamboree at the NEC, as it was called, in Birmingham. And this is a vast place. And thousands and thousands of ladies turned up for the WI. I think it was the year that Tony Blair was Prime Minister and was so slow hand-clapped and jeered by the WI. My sister's a member of the WI, and so is my aunt. They take no prisoners, believe you me. So, early one morning, I was sort of first on. And there I was on the radio stand and just chatting with the four or five people who were standing around. There weren't many people, but maybe a dozen or so. And right at the front was a lady and she had a like I could still visualise it. She had a hat on and she had those sort of wing, slightly Dame Everidge wing glasses. And a co even though it was inside, she had a coat which was buttoned right up to the top and had a handbag. And I hate to think what was in the handbag. I, I would imagine weapons of some description. 
And so I was chatting, and I looked at this, I could feel this woman's eyes boring into me. And I thought, what's the matter? And I'm chatting away and hopefully entertaining the, uh, the, the sparse crowd. Um, and uh, so I stopped, and I thought, oh, she must have been you know, standing on the side. I said, I'm terribly sorry, uh, madam, uh, just to say that uh, I'm uh, Alex Lester from the BBC. And she looked at me up and down with that look, which, you know, frankly could strip paint. And then she said in a voice which actually echoed, she was only tiny, five foot tall if she was a, a, an inch, in a voice that echoed round the whole of the NEC where people setting up other stands and things stopped to look round. What, what, what that was, she said, I know who you are and I don't like you. The best time of the day show is back Monday. Please, please stay. Best Time of the Day show is a Loading Zone production. La-di-da.